Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. Uh, we have been in a series called Bold, and uh, we have spent the last three weeks, this will be work week four, uh, looking at a couple of chapters, Acts chapters four and Acts chapters five, where we'll be today, uh, in looking at the boldness of a couple of guys uh, named Peter uh, and John. Um, so as you're turning to Acts chapter five, let me say a couple of things. Uh, you notice maybe that JP and Beth are gone this morning. Their son, uh, Seth, uh, is headed to uh, San Diego, California for Marine uh, boot camp, and so you be praying for uh, Seth, and then also Braden. Uh, Braden got a haircut this week, and uh, Braden uh, his nice long flowing locks. But he will be uh, heading off to uh, Army Basic uh, on Wednesday, and so you keep Seth and Braden, uh, two young men that we are proud of as a church. Uh, Braden has done a great job helping Luke over with getting the youth ministry started uh, on Wednesday nights, and we're going to miss. Uh, Seth and, and Braden, but you be praying for them uh, as they embark on this new season of life and these uh, careers that they have coming up. And so Seth is headed to the Marine Corps and Braden will be uh, joining the National Guard. And so you be praying, be praying for those guys. Also, uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to begin a new series um, and it's going to be called The Blessed Life. And it's going to be a, a series that's going to deal with our hearts. Uh, and, and so I'm kind of excited about that. And so we'll launch into that. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll have kind of an introductory uh, sermon uh, as we get into that. But we have been in the book of Acts. I've enjoyed this. We've talked about uh, bold faith uh, in week one. We've talked about bold prayers in week two. Last week we talked about uh, bold speaking. Uh, and today we're going to talk about bold obedience. Now as we have talked about bold, bold is basically behavior born out of belief. Uh, that how we believe and what we believe determines the way, that we, the way that we live and that boldness that we have. And so we've been spending a lot of time talking about you know, what God did for, for Peter and John in Acts chapters 5 and 6. And you know, as we get into the scriptures, you know, if I remember right, Hebrews you know, shares with us you know, that, it, that the word is written for our benefit. And, and we, we get into Hebrews chapter 11 and we call it the hall of faith. And, and, and so, and we hear, see all these guys that have done these, you know, done some ordinary people like you and I who did amazing things because they had faith in what God was desiring to accomplish. And, the, and it's no different today. God has not changed at all since, you know, Moses and Abraham and all those guys in the, that we read about in, in, that, in that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. None of that has changed God has not changed at all over the course of time. He is still a God who specializes in doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. And, 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 um, and so as we think about that and this idea of boldness, um, it carries over into today where we're talking about bold obedience. And, and it is my belief, and, and the scriptures tell us that in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible tells us that, that in, uh, back in like the Old Testament times, that God spoke to many people in many different ways. There were visions and dreams and angels and all kinds of stuff. But it says today, God speaks to us through his Son. And so we have Jesus now that they didn't have in Old Testament times. And it is my belief that God today still speaks to his people. 
I hope someday to, to spend some time in a series talking about the voice of God because John talks a lot about, you know, how God is, you know, that God, Jesus is the shepherd and the sheep hear his voice and know his voice. And so I hope maybe sometime next year that we're going to get into talking about how we can hear and recognize and know God's voice. But nonetheless, God does speak to his people. He doesn't hide his wisdom. His, his speaking isn't to a select few. His speaking is to his children. There's not a day goes by that I don't speak to my children. It just can't happen. Uh, and so uh, God speaks to each and every one of his children. So if we're a child of God, as we sang this morning, uh, then God is speaking to us. And so he speaks to us, and he wants us to respond to his speaking. He wants us to, to respond to what he's telling us. And so when you boldly obey, we'll experience his presence in, a, in, in new and, and, and real ways. And so let's bow in prayer and we'll dive into the text this morning and, 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 and read God's word for ourselves and, and learn some things from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would help us to have a boldness uh, that is born out of belief. That God, we would, as we gather together on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights in our Sunday school classes, God, that, that we would learn more about you and that it would develop our knowledge of you, Father, and our faith in you would grow. God, I pray that as we are spending time with you throughout the week and in, in prayer and in, in Bible study, Lord, that, it, that as we spend that time, Lord, our faith would grow, that we begin to better understand uh, the, the, this magnificent, amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all ever-present God who has called us by name, who, who fearfully and wonderfully knitted us together in our mother's womb, who had us in mind when he hung on the cross, who had us on his mind when he rose from the dead, who had us on his mind when, when he breathed the words of scripture into the, the men who, who put it to paper. And God, I pray that as we study it, Lord, that your word would come alive to us, that it would not be just merely words on a page, but God, it would be living and powerful, and Father, that it would leap off the page into our, into our minds and into our hearts, Lord, that we would know about you, that our faith would increase, God, and that we would have boldness for you. You are a God that we should never be ashamed of. That, God, we should be uh, just proud and, and, and be proclaiming you and sharing other, with others what you have done in us and, and, God, what you're doing through us. And, Father, I'm so very thankful for your presence in our lives. I'm thankful for the day that I finally surrendered my life to you, Lord. And, Lord, that I was, as we sang this morning, that I was set free. And when you set us free, Lord, we are free indeed. And, God, we thank you for that. So, Father, I pray this morning that uh, as we come here together this morning, Lord, I pray for those that have heavy hearts. I pray for those that might be burdened this morning. God, I pray that those would be lifted. God, I pray uh, for those that may just be struggling in life right now. Lord, I pray that, that God, you would let them know that, that you are the one that, that sets free, that you are the one that releases. And so, God, I pray today that as we read and study your word, that you would be our teacher and our guide through the text. I pray, Father, that uh, you administer to each and every one. Lord, we may not know what's going on in one another's lives, but God, you know specifically what's going on in ours. And so, Lord, I pray, uh, the Father, that your word would speak to our hearts this morning, meet our needs, Lord, and that we would glorify you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 really goes back to Acts chapter 3 if we're going to go back and look at the greater context of the the book. But I want to give you a Cliff Notes version so we're all kind of on the same page. In in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are heading uh, into into Jerusalem. And as they come to the gate called Beautiful, they encounter a a beggar who's there uh, asking for alms. He's asking for money to help him live. You see, this guy was 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 a cripple. He was handicapped and he had never, he had not walked in 40 years. And so he would have someone carry him to this, uh, this gate where he would uh, sit there all day long and ask for people to, to have compassion on him and give him gifts. And so as, as Peter and John are walking in, in through the city of Jerusalem through this gate, uh, they, are, they see this man and he's asking them for funds. And Peter uh, kneels down next to him. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And it says immediately the man uh, stands up on strengthened legs and he rolls up his mat and he begins to walk. And there's no doubt a crowd who has witnessed this. You see, in the walls, even today in the, the gates of Jerusalem, there are people who are walking in and out of those gates all the time. And so there, this becomes a spectacle. A man who they had known and recognized, who they knew to be a, 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 a crippled man, all of a sudden was now walking around and, and it, it created quite a scene. What, well, the, the Sadducees, the, 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 the religious leaders of the day, they find out about what Peter has done. And so they basically arrest him. And Peter and, and John go before this, this council, this uh, court, if you will, uh, and this court held the power. They could beat them, throw them in jail. They could have them killed. And so they're standing before this, this group of people, and they're having to give an answer for what they had done. And Paul or Peter makes some pretty, uh, some pretty uh, firm, bold statements. You can go back and read some of those in, 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 in Acts chapter 4. But he says, he tells them, and that basically they were the ones that crucified Jesus and that there was no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved, that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Now, the problem with that was is they believed you had to follow the law, that it was the law that got you into heaven. And if Jesus came to show us anything, he came to show us that nobody could perfectly keep the law and that they needed a savior. And so here's Peter telling them boldly in this court where they could take his life that Jesus was the only way and they were the ones that had had him crucified. Well, they can't deny that something magnificent happened and so they wind up letting uh, Peter and John go. And so we find that they go back and they pray for continued boldness and some amazing things are happening. If you look at, at chapter 4, verse 32, it says that you know, they prayed for boldness. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. So what did they do? Mine wasn't mine. What was mine was ours. And if you had need of it, I would sell it or give it to you, or I would give you the funds from the sale and I would meet your need. Now that's not normal. That is God moving on people's hearts in a level of generosity that was unheard of in the world around them. So it is, it is God's grace, graciousness being manifested in them, and now they are being gracious to one another. And look, and let's keep reading there. And look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there wasn't one needy person among them. 
For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as any had need. Now stop and think about that. I read that fast, but here's what's happening. Their hearts were so moved by the grace and mercy of Christ that if they owned land and someone had need, they would go and sell that need. They would bring it to the apostles. They would give the apostles the money and say, you meet the needs of the people. Here's the money. Now that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I grew up in church. I have never once seen a person say, hey, I sold, my tw- I sold 20 acres that I had because I just felt like God wanted me to sell that and bring that to the church so you could meet the needs of someone in the church. I mean, that's amazing to me that God, they were so moved. And understand this, this was not God saying, hey, you will do this or else. This was them having such great gratitude for the free grace that God had freely given them that they're saying, you know what? We see our brothers and sisters in need, and so because God was generous to us, we're gonna be generous to one another. And so they would sell their land, and they would take it. But it's not just that. If you keep reading uh, later on in, in chapter five, verse 12, look what happens there. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all gathered together in, in, in Solomon's port, portico, and none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Amazing, amazing things happen. Now, let me just make a a note here because I want to make a connection. What God was doing in the people's hearts and their generosity also fed into the work that the apostles were doing. You can't take the two and separate them where you have one group that's generous and you have one group performing signs and miracles. You have one group being generous, one group performing signs and miracles because of the power of God in the lives of the people. And their generosity was sparking goodwill in the community because they recognized that this was not just some rules to follow, but these were people who genuinely loved one another and the testimony of the church was feeding over into what the apostles were able to go out and proclaim, and all of a sudden, more than ever, there were believers being added to the church every day. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, but you see these great things happening. Now, let's get into where we're going to be at today. Uh, uh, Look at verse 17. So there's all these things going on, and it says in verse 17 of chapter 5, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prisons. Now, I want you to see some, there's going to be some bold obedience take place here, and I want to show you three principles that you'll experience in your bold obedience. Number one is this, bold obedience usually And I will say this, more often than not, will trigger opposition. Bold obedience will trigger 
opposition. Now that's not anything new that we've never heard before because we've talked about how when we, we are living for God, we have an enemy, Satan, who will rise up and come against us. So we can expect to have opposition. Well, what happens here? Well, these guys, these Sadducees, are filled with jealousy and they are now put into prison once again. And if you're keeping track, this is the second time in Acts chapter four and Acts chapter five that, the, that Peter and John have been put in prison because of their proclamation of the gospel. And the problem is that in the Christian culture we live in, we think, well, that's not acceptable. That's unacceptable. Like, that's, that's just not fair. These men weren't doing anything wrong. Well, no, they weren't doing anything wrong, but there were a group of people in power who didn't like it, and they could do something about it, and so they did. And, we, and often in our lives, we think, well, I'm obeying God. I mean, I, I go to church once or twice a month, whether I need it or not. You know, I helped the old lady across the street. I carried in my neighbor's groceries. I do good things. Why is this bad happening to me? And so we tend to think that if we do good, good will come, and if we do bad, bad will come, but if we do good, bad should never come right? I know early on in my life, I thought, man, if I would just get, if I get saved, like everything's going to be easy. I think if we've learned anything from our extensive study of the book of Job, that we learn that bad things happen to good people. And sometimes it's just not fair. And now we're looking at it again in Acts chapter four and five. And so the reality is that when you boldly obey God, you will face opposition. Now, here's what you need to know. If you're not ready to face opposition for your, for your obedience, you are not ready to be used by God. Let me say that again. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience, you are not ready to be used by God. That's just something we have to come to terms with. If we aren't ready to face opposition, it doesn't matter what we are praying for God to do in our lives, if we aren't ready to face opposition, if we aren't prepared to face that opposition, if we aren't rooted and grounded in where we're standing and our faith isn't in it where it needs to be, and, and then, then we're not gonna be ready to be used by God. And so when you, when you allow yourself to be used by God in a significant way to advance the kingdom, there will be opposition. It's football season, right? I love sports analogies. If you're, but this is an easy one, okay? When you are on the field, right, when you are playing, someone is either trying to block you, tackle you, or hit you, okay? That's pretty simple. If you are on the sidelines, you are not being pursued to be hit, tackled, or um, blocked. We're not worried about you. You are not in the game. You're over there. We're here. I got 11 other guys that I have an assignment, Right? It's the same thing. If I'm standing on the sideline not doing anything, Satan's really not that not a whole lot concerned with me. I'm not doing anything. But the moment I get into the game, all of a sudden, he's going to come up on your radar. And all of a sudden, you are going to be blocked, or you are going to be tackled, or you are going to be pursued, or you are going to be attacked. Or you're, I mean, it's going to happen. Why? Because you're in the game. You're doing something. And it is not God's desire for any of us to be on the sideline walked, watching with our hands kind of by the fire trying to stay warm while everybody else is out in the field playing the game. Now that's where the sports analogy ends because there's only 11 spots on a football field and you know there's 60 guys on the sideline. But you get the idea. 
God desires for us to be in the game, to be doing something. Now, here's the great thing about it, is that God's presence, even in the midst of us, uh, of us being obedient, God's presence never leaves us. We're going to see that. They get thrown in jail. Does that mean, well, God wasn't there. They got thrown in jail. It doesn't mean that at all. God was gonna, is about to do something pretty amazing. But they obeyed him. And, and we have to be ready for that opposition. And, and, and so if you want to boldly obey, uh, put it on your calendar, opposition is going to come. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. Don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about it. Don't say, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, the opposition's going to come because I'm getting in the... Don't worry about it. Here's what you should be worried about. You should be worried if you're not facing any opposition. If you aren't facing opposition, that's what you should be worried about. Not that what the opposition is, but the fact that you're not facing any. Because if you're not facing any, you're not even on the enemy's radar. I don't have to worry about that Andy guy. He's not doing nothing. He's not affecting the kingdom. He's not tearing down my walls. He's not sharing the gospel. All these people that I have imprisoned and have them under the chains of their sin and the guilt and shame of what they've done, he's not doing anything to set them free. He's not doing anything to reveal them the truth of the gospel and God's miracle of setting people free and making them new creations. He's doing nothing I don't have to worry about him at all. I'm going to focus my attention over here or over here where this guy's actually doing something. So we don't worry about what the opposition is. We worry instead if we're not facing any opposition at all. Now, what that opposition looks like, I don't know. It could be that your opposition is anxiety and you lay awake at night and you can't sleep because your mind. I did that last night. We were in Conway days, Friday and Saturday. And I'm thinking what this task that we're about to embark on uh, of, of, of having this second location in Conway. And, the, and, and just I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what if it fails? What if it does this? What if it does that? What do I got to do? And I'm making checklists in my head and I've laid in bed for two hours and I'm not not sleeping because all I'm doing is thinking about what all this project needs to be done. So that may be what opposition looks like to you. It may be that, that the thing that your God is calling you to obey in is a difficult thing. And, and, and someone else saying, oh, you know, it'd be so much easier if you just didn't do that. Or it may be that, that someone's saying, I can't believe you're actually doing this. You know, we don't, I don't know what the opposition looks like, but you can mark it down. If you boldly obey God, there will be opposition. But don't worry about the opposition. Worry instead if you're not facing any at all. Truth number two is this. When you boldly obey, you'll often release God's miracles. You see, when you boldly obey, you can expect God to show up. That's one of the reasons why we don't really have to worry about the opposition. God is going to show up. And if something befalls us, like imprisonment does to these guys in the text today, we can know God's going to do something amazing. Now look at Acts chapter 5, verse 19. So where, tell me, where are Peter and John? They are in prison. They're in jail, right? Look at verse 19. But during the night, and I love how Luke writes this, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, and gives them a commandment. We're not going to get there yet. Let's pause right there. Now let me ask you a question, okay? I want you to be honest with me. Think about this. If an angel of the Lord... You're in jail, and an angel of the Lord shows up. 
Do you think verse 19 is all you would have to say about an angel Lord showing up and setting you free from prison? Let's read it again. Now think about it. you're in jail, right? You are in jail. This is what's said. But during the night, an angel Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Just going to be honest with you. Angel shows up and sets me out of prison. I'm going to have a whole lot more to say about it than that. I'm going to be like, dude, like this is what happened. That angel was nine feet tall and he had a sword of lightning. And like the gate was locked and he just like walked right through the doors. I have no idea. And the chains fell off of us. And like we just, just, the door swung open and out I walked. And I thought we were going to get caught. But man, that angel just had all these guys asleep. And I'm telling you, if they would have woke up, he'd have shot them down with the sword. And it would have just been amazing. It was awesome. And can you believe that we were set free from prison? And you just went on and on. Why? That's pretty cool stuff, right? You're in jail. It is locked down. And an angel of the Lord shows up and sets you free. When you boldly obey, you can expect God to show up in some amazing thing and in some amazing ways, and you will release God's miracles. And here's the thing: you know, they, they open the doors it, it, because when you walk in obedience to God, you're not going to be surprised by the miracles of God. Why are we so shocked when God actually shows up and answers a prayer? We ought to be like Luke. We ought to just be expecting it. Hey, Peter and, Peter and John were in jail. They got arrested. But God being faithful and who he is, he just shows up, lets them out because they, you know, they, were, they weren't doing anything wrong and they were just following him. But you know, why are we so shocked? Shocked is a good word. Why are we so shocked when God shows up and does something? Why are we surprised? Should we be surprised? Should we be shocked? Maybe it's because, let's go back a couple weeks, maybe it's because we aren't praying for anything big enough to shock us. You know, I, I, you, know you pray for, to, to, get, to pass a test. I got a test coming up. Well, Lord, please help me get an A. But you have studied for six hours a day for the last two days and you get an A. And you're like, oh, boy, I'm glad that's over with. Glad I got an A. But like, you've put the, you've put the work in. But what if you ask God to do, now this, this is just to, don't ever do this. If you're a student in here, don't ever do this. But what if we ask something so big, like say, I'm not going to study at all, help me get an A, and you get, now don't ever do that. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. If you're a student in here, just delete that out of your memory bank. But here's the thing, but Maddie, don't ever do that, okay? But here's the thing, here's my point. What, it, what are we praying for? Some of us, we're not praying big prayers so that God has to show up and do anything. We're just praying for the things that we know we can do on our own, and we're just asking God to bless them. We're not maybe not even asking God what he wants us to do. We're saying, God, this is what I'm doing, and I want you to bless it. And then we go do it anyway, right? What if we pray for something truly big? What if we pray for something that if it happens, oh, the only answer to it isn't that, oh, I was so great and I did this all on my own, but it was that God, oh, we, don't, we don't understand it, we don't know it, all we know is God showed up and this happened. And so I want to challenge you, pray big prayers. Don't be praying like little things that you can hold in your hand. Pray for things, and I'm not saying, you know, pray that, uh, let me, Lord, help me. 
I'm going to buy a lottery ticket on the way home. Lord, Powerball is like 500 quadrillion million dollars. And boy, you know I could serve a lot of missionaries with that. And so, Lord, please help me win the offer. And so you go and you buy $20 in Powerball tickets, and then you get home and you lose, and you're like, well, God must not be real because I didn't win Powerball. But that's, that's sometimes how we think. Like, but I'm talking about pray things for the, like, pray something for the church. Pray for something that, that, that for God to move. Pray for an individual that's, that's so lost that if they, you know, and then all of a sudden when something happens, you're like, man, God showed up there. Like, there's no reason why this should be happening other than this is what God did. Pray for healing and pray for like God can actually do it. He can. Doesn't mean he will. Now, let me add that. Sometimes our prayers, God, God's only going to do what's best for us. And he knows what the future holds. We don't. And so God may, but is our faith big enough for him to say no? That's something else for us to consider. But here, we serve a miracle-producing, a miracle-practicing, a miracle-performing God. The fact, that, the fact that any of us are even here today is a miracle in and of itself. Salvation is a miracle. Changed lives are miracles. But he doesn't just do that. He does so much more. And when we boldly obey, we will often release those miracles. In fact, I, it, it, it amazes me, even to this day, in simple acts of obedience, how God blesses his people in ways that we cannot even we cannot even fathom, and we may not even realize it at the time until we look back on life. And man, I can see God's blessings all over the life of my family in the last 10, 15 years. I didn't always recognize it in the moment, but as we look back on it, I can see how God has miraculously, in cases, provided for my family. Ways that he has miraculously provided for this church. And I could sit down and just count with you miracle after miracle after miracle of things that God has done because his people or his, his, his child has faithfully obeyed what he's called them to do. And I'm confident this morning that God is calling each and every one of us to something. Now it's not, and I don't think of this as being a life calling, you know, like he's calling me to be a pastor, he's calling me to be a missionary, or he's calling me to change careers. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the day-to-day -day routine of listening to the Holy Spirit's promptings and the Holy Spirit speaking to us or leading us or guiding us, however we want to phrase that, in simple acts of obedience. It may be paying for someone's tank of gas at the gas station. It may be with, with helping a woman carry a large load into her home or into her business. Or it may be that you're walking down the street and, and, and the Lord just says, hey, I want you to stop and I want you to talk to this person or, or I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And we clam up because we're afraid of how that might be perceived. But listen, boldness is behavior born of belief. And we believe that God speaks to us and we believe that God desires to use us and we believe that we are his instruments in spreading this gospel. And if I believe that, I'm gonna do the things that he's telling me to do because it's gonna lead to those people being saved and having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That it is a gospel purpose that he has set before me. 
And I am playing a role in that person coming to faith in Christ. And so it may be that you're paying for the person's meal behind you in line. And you just say, hey, would you give them this note? And you scribble on a, on a, on a post-it note or a, a notebook piece of notebook paper, Jesus loves you, have a great day. And you just sit it there. And then maybe, because we don't know the sovereignty of God, maybe later that day, they're actually going to someone's house and that person is going to tell them about about, the, about Jesus and tells them about how he wants to save, how he loves them and, saves their, and wants to save their soul and, and, and give them new life and bless them. And you have teed it up nicely because God has already provided for them their breakfast or their lunch for that day. We don't know. We don't know how these simple acts, but that's what I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to is this bold obedience isn't in a, in like, well, you know, God's calling me to preach or what's the one thing, God, you want me to accomplish in this life? Because it's not about his one thing. If you had to say, if it's one thing is that I want you to be engaged in the expansion of the kingdom. And how we are engaged in the expansion, how we are his children and his sheep, and we're listening, we listen to his voice, and we do, do what he says, and it's on a daily basis thing. We daily take up our cross. We daily deny ourselves. We daily follow him. Not just look for this one thing that God wants me to do, and then I go and do it. I do this one thing. Well, God, I've become a pastor. Now my will for my, your will for my life has been accomplished. Is God through with me just because I'm, uh, now I answer the call to preach? No, he's got, a, he's got other things he wants me to do. Some of them small, some of them may be big. But my will, his will for my life isn't done just because I get saved. His will for my life isn't done just because I answer a call to ministry. His will for my life isn't done just because I have found the church that he wants for me to attend. In fact, I would argue it's just beginning when we begin to say yes to Christ. His will for our life is just beginning to, to develop. What's, what's his word say? Your word is a lamp into my feet. Now, any of you ever tried to walk through the woods with a lantern? Anybody? How far can you see? Not very far. Maybe what? Two, three, four feet ahead of you? You ever think there was a reason why God said, my word is a lamp unto your feet. And we've talked about this a lot, this idea that God's only going to let us know a step or two ahead. Like we want to know further, but God says, listen, let's develop the faith. I want you to take this step and this step, then we'll move on from there, right? And, and for some of us, right now, he's calling us to take those baby steps. You got the lamp, you know what you're to do, or you're sensing, or you know you have the, the this 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 feeling that you know what you need to do, and so we begin to obey and follow Him. And so it doesn't matter if it's big things; it doesn't matter if it's small things. God's going to show up in a big way. And that's not to say that things aren't ever going to go wrong. So I'm going to say that you might not, you know, like Peter and 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 John, wind up in some precarious situation. It may not be imprisonment. But it may be something else, not to say that, that everything will go, go wrong, but in the middle of a bad day, the provision of God uh, shows up through an angel that comes and sets them free. And so when we walk in obedience to God, you shouldn't be surprised when God comes through and not be shocked when God does something supernatural. And number three, which I jumped the gun on a little bit, but bold obedience always requires faith. It always requires faith. Every single time God prompts you to do something, it's going to take faith to obey him. Look at chapter 20, or verse 20, sorry. Acts 5, verse 20. 
So the angel has delivered them, brings him out, and says this, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life, capital L, life. Go to the temple, this is what he's saying, go to the temple and I want you to tell people about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Now wait a minute. So I've been in jail, I, I healed the man, because that's what God told me to do. I preached, I was thrown in jail, they let me go. I prayed, preached again, got thrown in jail, strike two. Now you, you want me to go stand in the temple? The temple, no less, and you want me to preach there. Am I, am I getting that right? Now how many of us would have been like, we all know, strike three, buddy, you're out. What's gonna happen, right? Like you're just wondering, what's gonna happen here? You know, and, but this is what the angel says. Go, and says, and look at verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When God prompts you to do something, it's going to take faith. It doesn't matter if it's something small. There, he didn't say, hey, I want you to go find another poor guy to, to go heal. He says, listen, I want you to go in the temple. I want you to preach. I want you to proclaim the good news. And you may be like, I, I want to know some details. Give me some details. If I go back, angel, if I go back, are they going to kill me this time? Three strikes, I'm out. They're not going to deal with me anymore. They're not going to warn me to no longer speak his name. They're not going to do that anymore. Are they just going to kill me now and just get this over with? I mean, what's going to happen? Or, oh, maybe there's going to be a huge revival and like maybe 3,000 people get saved just like it did at Pentecost. That would be awesome, God, wouldn't it? I want to know details, but he doesn't get any details. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to pray. You have to have faith to take the next step. Well, where would be a good place to begin obedience? Where would be a good place to begin? If I'm going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to start obeying God. I've not done a very good job of it. Where's a good place to start? Right here. This is a great place to start. Because you know what? Anything God ever asks us to do is never going to contradict this. And if we're doing this, we're going to be in pretty good shape. So if there are things in here that he says like, hey, go and make disciples, then we should probably go and make disciples. That'd be a great first step. If he says, hey, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, then we should probably do that. Then when, then when he adds to that, he says, and the second is like it. I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I read something this morning, and it spoke of the, this, this concept of our culture, and we live in a disposable society. If you hurt me or you've done something against me, I will just throw you away and find someone to replace you. When this cup is empty, I will pitch it and go grab another one. It's like a water bottle. You know, people don't reuse water bottles. We don't give them a second chance. We use them, we crush them, we pitch them, and we go grab another bottle of water. Now, I think sometimes we do that with people. Oh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And then, and then we're done. Like we just write them off. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no nothing. We're just done. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I am mistake prone. I'm failure prone. And you know what? I hope that you will deal as graciously with me as you're hoping I would deal as graciously with you. 
it drives Ashley crazy because I'm a benefit of the doubt person. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe they didn't mean it that way. Maybe they didn't really do it, you know. And sometimes, you know, the truth is just staring me right in the face. But you know what? I hope, I hope that the grace we extend to others will be extended back to us. And if it's not, then it's not. But that doesn't mean I withhold grace from someone else. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that I say, well, they're not being gracious with me, so I'm just not going to be gracious to them. You know what? Let me ask you this question. And I, How many times have you been gracious to the Lord? What did... Think, think to be honest with you, like we're... The best of us aren't as faithful as we should be. The best of us aren't. And yet, grace flows freely, doesn't it? Do I have to obey more and more to get more and more grace? No. God gives generously. And so you know what? As a believer, I too should give generously. I forgive generously. I may, I should give generously. I serve generously. Why? Because everything, but see, a lot of us, here's the problem that a lot of us have grown up in. If you grew up in church, and and if you grew up in a church like I did, grace wasn't free, right? You had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this. Like, we had to work for our salvation. Now, it says work out your salvation, There's fruit of our salvation. There's something that works out of us when we are saved. But I don't work for my salvation. My salvation is a free gift purchased on the cross. I did nothing to deserve it. I did nothing to earn it, and I do nothing to keep it. It is a work of God from beginning to end. You did not earn yours either. You cannot earn it. You can't earn more of it, so quit trying. Our response is generosity. Why? Because Christ was generous to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. And the people in our life that God desires for us to extend grace and extend mercy to do not earn it either, but that does not give us the permission to withhold it. Right? We are Christ's ambassadors. We have put on Christ to borrow from Paul and Romans. We're to put him on. We are to be the outflowing. What he pours into us isn't stored here. It is redirected out into the lives of other people. And so we are gracious. We are generous. We are forgiving. Doesn't mean we're a doormat. There's a difference. But we are forgiving and gracious and merciful. And, and, and as we, we look back to this, bold obedience, it requires this, this, this faith to take the next step. And maybe, maybe that's what our next step is. We need to show grace where we've never shown grace before. Well, God, I just, well, it's going to be so hard for me. Maybe that's the work he wants to do in us. Hey, your salvation was a free gift. I didn't have to give it to you either, but I did. And now this is what I want you to do. That's just one, and, and you know, that's, that's an area where, where obedience can be difficult. Obedience is difficult. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. It, it's, it's, you know, Aniston right now, she's wanting, to take, she's wanting to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. 
Some of us, God's taken the, remember the fear you had? I remember, I remember we lived up in Lynn Creek, and we had a long lane driveway. And I can remember, I, I, had, I was telling, me and my dad were talking about this the other day. I said, I can remember riding that bike down, and, it, and the driveway was two ruts of gravel, with, you know, because we didn't have, and it wasn't concrete, it was just gravel, and it was time for me to learn how, and I was about Aniston's age, kindergarten, first grade, and I remember trying to keep that bike in the rut and screaming to my dad, Dad, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. He let go, bam! All these years later, 30 years later, I still remember the crash. Why? I lost my balance and I fell. But you know what? I learned a lesson. So what do I do? I get back on there. Don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. Dad, let's go. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm wobbly, right? But I'm riding by myself. And God's taking the training wheels off of some of us. And you know what? It takes a step of faith. Like it takes a step of faith that I trusted my dad. Hey, you're going to know when to let go of this bike seat. And you know what? It makes me nervous as a dad to teach my kid how to ride a bike without training wheels. Because you know what? I'm going to let go and she's going to crash and she's going to want to blame me, right? But we all know that there are growing pains, right? There are growing pains. And you know what? We don't outgrow the growing pains as we get older because there's still other areas of life that God is trying to get us to grow in. And there are growing pains associated with that area of life. But if I want to do something great, I've got to be willing to endure some, some pain on the, on the front end. Right? It's like riding the bike or driving a car or learning how to do something else. You're prone to make a mistake, and you're going to. But listen, it's not about the mistakes. It's about the faith. It's about the obedience, and it's about understanding that God's grace covers our sins. We are going to mess up. We're going to do things the wrong way. We're going to fall off the bike, but God's always going to be there to provide for us, whether it's a miracle of releasing us out of jail, or it's the, here's, you want to know something equally amazing? that God can use a screw-up like you and me, right? Like, that's amazing that he not only can use us, but wants to use us, and not only that, but will use us if we let him. We say, well, I can't, I can't do this. It doesn't matter. He will and can, and he'll do far more through you than you'll even give yourself credit for. Why? Because God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. All we have to do is say yes to him. All we have to do is take that step of obedience and faithfully follow him. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, I believe that there...